0: Of Genesis on Jacob's life which we are about to look at is equivalent of the New Testament the Apostle Paul when he had his transformed heart. Here's the common denominator between Jacob and Paul. Both had struggles with God before their lives would change. It's no different today. Struggling with God comes before transformation. Before and after conversion. And my prayer for this, from this message is this, that you would learn to embrace struggle and not resent it. Amen. As the songwriter and now preacher Steve Camp said in this song, though the trials never end, and some of us can attest to that, though the trials never end, I've learned to take them as my friend, for each day he covers me. So let's turn to Genesis 32, starting with verse 22. And if you don't mind, let's stand up and as we read God's word. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the fort of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let's pray. And Father, please open the eyes of our heart to see the truth of your word and the truth be applied to our lives. Let your Holy Spirit sow your word into our hearts so we can be transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ, your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. F.B. Meyer, the great British preacher and evangelist, tells this story. It's about a bee keeper. He told him this story. He said, how when the little bee is in the first stage, it is put into a hexagonal cell, and enough honey is stored there for its use until it reaches maturity. The honey is sealed with a capsule of wax, and when the tiny bee has fed itself on the honey and exhausted the supply, the time has come for it to emerge into the open. But oh, the wrestle, the tussle, the straining to get through that wax. It is a straight gate for the bee. So straight that in the agony of exit, the bee rubs off the membrane. The bee rubs off the membrane that hid its wings. And on the other side is able to fly. That's a great story because it really relates to our story tonight. The baby bee had to go through the struggle first before it could fly. It had to go through the hexagonal cell, get the membrane off its body, so it was able to fly. And this relates to our text very well this afternoon. Now, many of you may not know this, but salvation is a free gift, right? I would hear a resounding amen from everybody. And it's purchased by Christ's atoning blood, but nonetheless is granted to those who are made willing to strive for it. And I didn't make this up. Jesus said this. In Luke thirteen twenty four. Jesus said this. He said, Strive to enter through the narrow road or narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So, this word strive that Jesus was talking about comes from a form of a Greek word agonizomai which we, where we get our English word agony and in this context what Jesus was talking about it has to do with a fight or a struggle this is not suggesting at all that anyone could merit salvation because Paul told the Ephesian church for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourself but we encounter difficulty because of pride because of sin the opposition of Satan and the world that's what Jesus meant we're gonna make we're gonna come into opposition when I first got saved I came into opposition my pride didn't want me to accept the gospel right away why? because I'm a good person because I had sins I didn't want to give up because of the world and because of Satan Thank God, he gave me the grace to strive to get through. And we should earnestly desire salvation and a relationship with God no matter what the cost. And those of us who are already saved know this in part already. But the same is true for the believer's growth in their sanctification. There's a struggle. You can't be a Christian any length of time and to know... That is a struggle. And here's the proposition. God will initiate confrontation and wrestle with you in order to bring permanent change in your life. I'm sorry to say that as you turn on your TV and watch most of the televangelists, you will not get this story. Now, as we get into our text and as we read the account of Jacob's life in Genesis, one thing you and I must come to grips with as Christians, although the Bible has different genres, you know, poetic, prose, narrative, gospel, all these different genres, one thing we know that it is, is it's historical. Bible is a historical book. You should not and cannot separate the Bible from history. The story we just read about Jacob wrestling with a man is a real, true historical event that took place about 4,000 years ago. This is not a fictitious story. This is not a parable. It's not a, 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 an analogy. It's not symbolic. This is an actual historical story that took place approximately 4,000 years ago. But before we get into our text, I need to give some background on Jacob's life and what what brought him to this point of struggling or wrestling with this assailant. First, Jacob was one of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have the story of Jacob, which is richly human, and at times it can be very humorous. Jacob was born to Isaac and Rebekah. And in Genesis 25, it tells us that when Rebekah conceived, she was pregnant with twins and sensed this great struggle in her womb. And the Lord told her in Genesis 25-23, she felt a struggle. you got to picture this. And when she inquired, this is what was told her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. You had Esau. His nation was Edom. The Edomites. Then you had Jacob. Israel. Now in Old Testament times, the firstborn son was the one who enjoyed all the privileges in a household of receiving a double portion of, of the inheritance and becoming the head of a household. However, God in his divine, sovereign wisdom changed that order, which was unthinkable. And it brought this tension and struggle between Esau and Jacob. And And in Rachel's room, the struggle began. The relationship between the twins in the next 11 chapters is mostly hostile. When they were born, Jacob came out holding Esau's heel. That was why he was named Jacob. Jacob means heel catcher. So we picture this, he's coming out and he's holding his brother's heel. And it also means deceiver. And that's what characterized Jacob's life. The man was a deceiver, he was a con artist, he was a manipulator. You know what we would say about a, a man like that today? Not even grace could cover him. But you know what? You're going to see the grace of God in this man's life that is affecting your life today. and It's one of the reasons why you're sitting here tonight. So first, Jacob deceives his brother Esau. Then his father Isaac, and then his uncle Laban first episode we see Jacob's deception in Genesis 25 where he deceives his brother Esau right out of his birthright by offering Esau a bowl of lentil soup in exchange for it Esau comes in out of hunting he was a hunter, he comes in, he goes I'm famished, so his brother the, benavid, the, the, the the deceiver said, oh, I'll give you a bowl of lentil soup, but you have to give me one thing, your birthright. And Esau says, what's my birthright? I'm going to die. Give me the bowl of lentil soup. He gave it to him, and he gave him his birthright. You know why? Because the Bible says Esau despised his birthright. Esau, the book of Hebrews tells us, was unholy. The second episode, we see Jacob deceiving his father Isaac and giving him the firstborn inheritance instead of his brother Esau. He deceived his brother, I mean his father. He came in. He made believe he was, his father was blind. He was old at that time. And, and he was laying down and, and he, he put some, some fur from an animal on his arm because Esau was hairy. And he comes in and his father said, Who is that? He says, Esau, but it was really Jacob. His father said, let me come, let me, let me feel you. And he's feeling him and he's, and he's talking to him and he smelled like Esau. He, looked, he felt like Esau, but he deceived him. And his father blessed him, not Esau. The third episode was Jacob deceiving his uncle Laban where he tricked them and fled with his wives and possession without telling him. And without going into all the details, the details he lived with his uncle for many years and they deceived each other. There's a lot of deception going on. They were deceiving each other. We see that today, don't we? In some families, deception going on. You know what happened? Jacob met his match. So Jacob eventually flees from his uncle Laban and heads towards Canaan. That's where God was sending him. Laban catches up with Jacob, and they make a treaty and depart from each other. Jacob continues his journey to Canaan, and now with one crisis behind them, I got rid of Uncle Laban. One is before him. His brother Esau is after him, or well, he thinks he is. Why? Because 22 years have passed, and Jacob is thinking, my brother's going to kill me, because that's the way he left it off. He was going to kill his brother. As soon as his father died, he was going to kill his brother. But one crisis is behind him now. Another one is in front of him. Esau is coming to meet him. So God prepares Jacob for meeting Esau by giving him a vision of angels. And you can see that in chapter 28. The presence of angels assured Jacob of God's approval of his return to Canaan and his continuous presence with him. And in spite of the evidence of God's care for him, Jacob was still terrified by the news that Esau was coming to meet him. I mean, you could have a great vision like that and still be terrified. That's the human nature. And then Jacob prayed, which was prompted by fear, prompted by anxiety, and he reminds God... And this is, this is before really Jacob was converted. He reminds God of his covenant promise, acknowledges his fears and anxieties and unworthiness. That's a good prayer. That is a very good prayer. But as you read Genesis 32, you see Jacob is still trying to appease his brother's anger by his own efforts instead of waiting on God. What Jacob doesn't realize is this. That this is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. And the one, he's going to get the victory, but it's not going to be by his own efforts. But this is all going to change as Jacob is about to meet someone who is a transformer of men's hearts, but not without a great struggle. Fear of Esau... And failure to trust in God for the outcome, I believe, led Jacob to this point where he will meet and wrestle with God and his life will never be the same. And here's where we will pick up this continuing narrative of Jacob's life in chapter 32, verses 22 to 32, which we just read. And there's three points I want you to learn from this text tonight. Point one, you wrestle with God alone. there's times you don't have anyone with you and when it comes to salvation you wrestle with God alone when it comes to sanctification you wrestle with God alone we're going to talk about what wrestling with God means point two and you may not like this but this is the truth God initiates the confrontation in your life that's something else you don't hear from the televangelists or at least many of them and point three through your struggle with God, He will transform you. You get the point? It's going to be a struggle. Verses 22 to 24 again. The same night He arose and took His two wives, His two female servants and His eleven children, across crossed the fort of Jebac. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. The first point is Jacob wrestled with God alone. You will wrestle with God alone. Jacob returned during the night, left the camp, took his family and crossed Jabbok River and he returned to the camp alone. He was there all alone. Why Jacob crossed his his family and possessions and then returned is uncertain. Was he a coward hiding behind his wives and possessions? Or one suggestion is that was Jacob, uh, was he anticipating an encounter with Esau and so he began a night crossing of the river to establish his ground in the land? We don't know, but we do know this. He was alone. Maybe it was fear of his brother that drove him to bring his family and possessions across the stream and to go back to the camp and seek the Lord. Maybe that was it. We don't know. Fear will drive you to seek God, and you seek Him alone. I remember when I, through my Christian walk, there was times I woke up afraid, and there was nobody there for me, and I had to seek God alone, And, and He had to alone calm my fears and my anxieties. Back in our text, Jacob was at the Jabbok River, which is a stream or a branch of the Jordan River. It's approximately 50 to 65 miles long and is 1,900 feet above sea level and drops to 115 feet below. As it drops through, it cuts through these deep canyons and ravines. I mean, that must be a beautiful sight. So in this deep canyon by the river, which is surrounded by hills, Jacob is there all alone. Or at least he thinks he is. The second half of verse 24 says, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. What happened? An unexpected and sudden introduction of an assailant appears. I can only imagine when this man appeared how it must have startled Jacob. I remember one time I was running. I run, I like to run, I like to keep in shape. And I was running and it was... um, it was it was dark. It was like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, and it was pitch black. And I was running, and as I was running down this one way street, suddenly between two parked cars, a man stepped out, and it startled me. I mean, I really got. I mean, I I, I was startled. And then, and that's how I think Jacob felt, startled that this man appeared and started wrestling with him. And they began to wrestle. And they wrestled until dawn. Wrestling was a popular sport in the ancient world, especially of the Hellenistic civilization, where it was a major event at Olympic Games. You you know, there were Olympic Games even back then. You know, Pastor Brian was preaching on the Corinthians, how they had Olympic Games. So Olympic Games is nothing new. It's very old. It involved two people in the old Olympic Wrestling and it had to do with hand-to-hand struggle. So wrestling back then became a symbol for struggle. Who was Jacob struggling with? Who was this assailant? It was God. We know this from verse 30 and from Hosea 12.4. Verse 30 says, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen who? God face to face. <clears throat> And yet, my life has been delivered. And then Hosea, recalling this account, said, He strove with the angel. Now, a lot of times when you see the angel of the Lord in the New Testament, that's talking about God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. So the man is identified as God. God has appeared to people various times in the Old Testament, so this is not something new. A good example is when God appeared in uniform to Abraham and. Genesis chapter 18. These appearances are called theophanies. This could have very well been a Christophany. A theophany is an appearance of God in human form or some kind of tangible object. A Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, which many times scholars believe in the Old Testament that happened. And we believe that this was one of them, that Jesus appeared to him in human form. Now, I think it's worth mentioning at this point that Jacob is a 97-year-old man. And while verse 24 says a man wrestled with Jacob, I believe this was not a figure of speech or allegoric or symbolic, as I said before, but a real physical and re- wrestling match. This 97-year-old man was wrestling with God in human flesh. However, it would be absolutely ludicrous to think or to entertain the thought for one moment that Jacob could defeat God physically or spiritually. So why did God let Jacob <clears throat> prevail and grapple so long? It started at night and it went to dawn. You know why he let it go on? To see how badly Jacob wanted this blessing. Sometimes, and many of you who go to the gym know this, many of you who are involved in boxing, a boxer will go a full 12 rounds in the ring if he doesn't get knocked out and will not give up even though he's pretty banged up. Why? Because he wants that title. Rocky remember for Rocky won? He had to defeat Apollo Creed. Why? Because he wanted the title. He was banged up pretty badly if you saw the movie. Jacob demonstrated perseverance and tenacity. He wanted that blessing. But he didn't want to give up his sin, so the wrestling match kept going. Jacob wrestled with God long and alone. There comes a time in every child's life when they must face the challenges alone. When I was a certain age, my parents had to let me face the world by myself. They had to leave me and let me face the bullies that picked on me alone. They could not always bail me out. Otherwise, I would have never had been able to stand up to them. There was a time I had to go to school alone. At a certain age, it's time to face life alone, and I'm sure many of you remember that time. There's a time in every Christian life when we struggle with God without the pastor, without our spiritual warfare partners, or without our Sunday school teacher. We must be confronted by the challenges that, bring, that God brings our way alone you wrestle with God alone. That's point one. Point two is God initiated the wrestling match with Jacob. And God initiates conf- confrontation in your life. He'll do that. Verse 24 says, a man wrestled with Jacob. It was God who actually attacked Jacob. We see similar uh, initiated circumstances throughout Scripture. Second Corinthians 12 uh, verse 7 to 9. It says, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. God permitted Satan to torment Paul. Now that sounds like that could not be God, but that was God. The NAS uses the word torment, some other versions use the word harass. But God used this thorn from Satan to harass Paul, to keep Paul from becoming conceited. The psalmist in 119.75 says I know O Lord that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. And in Isaiah 53.10 the prophet speaks of God the Father afflicting his son Jesus Christ that it was his will to crush him. Who initiated all these things? God. God afflicts his people his elect, his church yes even his own son for the purpose of redemption he initiates it most of us have witnessed in recent days how sickness, the loss of a loved one a national emergency or a public embarrassment can be used by God to humble our hearts and to call upon his name I remember when nine eleven happened the church we used to belong to when we had a prayer meeting The church at the prayer meeting was filled. The prayer meeting was filled. It had to take a national emergency to fill up the prayer room. Someone said, sometimes God's appointed means of grace is getting us stuck and afraid. And he will for our sakes and most of all for his glory initiate hardship in our lives to bring about permanent change in us. You see, that's what God is all about transformation he's not about bless me bless me bless me let me have such a good life now like i won't mention the name but our best life now god is not about that god is about transformation he wants your life to imitate christ he wants your lump, uh, your life to reflect christ One thing we should notice is that even though God initiated this struggle, this wrestling match, Jacob was persistent. He was persistent and he didn't give up even though there was a deep struggle which involved pain and the pain may have been unbearable. I don't know how many of you had a hip operation or hip replacement, you know the pain is unbearable. And his pain was the dislocated hip that the assailant afflicted upon him because he saw that he did not overcome Jacob. So the assailant, God, afflicted him. But his pain went deeper than the physical. You know what his pain was? It was spiritual. It was sin in his life. Remember, this man was a conniver, a deceiver, a manipulator. I like what Dr. Warren Wearsby writes. He says it is when we get alone with God that good things begin to happen Christ came to wrestle with Jacob and the struggle lasted all night keep in mind that Jacob was not wrestling to get a blessing from God rather he was defending himself and refusing to yield the Lord wanted to break Jacob and bring him to a place where he would honestly say not I but Christ. All night long Jacob defended himself and refused to surrender or even admit that he had sinned. Then God weakened Jacob and the wrestler could only cling. Now instead of scheming for a blessing or a bargaining for a blessing, he asked God for a blessing and he received it. And I think that is wonderful. I think that really summarizes this text. And I believe Jacob for the first time realized when the assailant dislocated his hip, I think for the first time Jacob realized, hey I, I need forgiveness I need mercy of God, I need the grace of God that only God could give me but he had to be changed when struggle comes in your life and it will, you need to be persistent and you don't give up even when the struggle seems unbearable we wrestle with God all the time I've had wrestling matches with God. Why? Because we want our way. And God has to dislocate our hip. He has to bring pain and suffering in our lives until we finally surrender and cry out, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Sometimes, sometimes, the wrestling match goes on long and we can't bear it. Why? To break our stubbornness. Let's read verses verses 25 to 30 again. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See the tenacity in this man? And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob then he said your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed then Jacob asked him please tell me your name but he said why is it that you ask my name and there he blessed him So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So the point one was, you wrestle with God alone. Point two is, God initiates confrontation in your life. And the third and final point is, through this struggle with God, Jacob was now transformed. Through your struggle with God, he's going to transform you. Jacob was now injured, and the man asked to be released. But Tenacious Jacob wouldn't let him go until he blessed him. That's good. That's good. And I think at this point, as the morning began to dawn, Jacob realized who this wrestler was, and he clung to him. Nothing gives God greater pleasure when his children cling to him. Nothing in this world gives God greater pleasure when you cling to your Savior. Just like... Parents love when children cling to them, to a point, to a point. I mean, there's a point, you know, if John Paul started clinging to me now, I'd say, John Paul, you know, we're in trouble here, you know? I don't know why my son makes great illustrations for my sermons. You know, he's going to yell at me probably later, but uh, that's okay. Well, he'll forgive me. We see this many times in the Bible. We, Jesus told the parable of a persistent widow in Luke 18 who would not give up until the unjust judge gave her justice against her adversary. And the unjust judge gave it to her. Why? Because of her persistence. That's right. A few years ago, Pastor Brian did a series on the Lord's Prayer. In Luke 11, and he spoke about asking, seeking, and knocking. This has to do with persistence. In the Greek, these three words are in the present tense and are imperatives, which means that we are commanded to continually and persistently to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, to knock and keep on knocking. That's what God wants from us. For the person seeking salvation... Or the Christian desiring to grow, there will be a struggle and the need, and hear this, to persevere. You persevere. And God will bring transformation in our lives. A lot of time I talk to many Christians, I'm talking about Christians now, and they go into through struggles and they want to give up. And I always encourage them, and Pastor Brian and Elder Pat, we all know this, we encourage them to go on, to keep going because we know that the struggles are just going to try to deter you from what God has for you and how God wants to transform your heart and your mind. God will bring transformation in your life. It's like the illustration of FBMI that I opened with. The bee had to struggle through the hexagonal cell in order to rub off the membrane that covered its wings so it could fly and come out of the cell. As we go through life, keep in mind that struggling is an important part of any growth experience. You know, for those of you again who go to the gym, what's the famous saying? No pain, no gain. Well, it's the same thing with the spiritual life. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be struggle. And, 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 and most of our struggle is with God. God is trying to do something in our lives and we are rebelling against Him. We we become uh, um, stubborn and we don't want to give up our sin. We don't want to give up the sin that so easily entangles us. In fact, it's the struggle that causes the sin to rub off so we can fly and soar like eagles. God will allow us to struggle so we can be transformed. Back in our text, the man then asked Jacob his name. Really now, did God need to ask his name? Remember in the garden? Adam, where are you? Did he not know where Adam was, the omniscient God? Of course he knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to confess where he was. The same thing with Jacob. But he asked Jacob his name, not because he didn't know his name. He asked Jacob his name to show him the contrast. In the Old Testament, your name was linked to your nature. And what was Jacob's nature? What's that? (laughs) A swindler. Okay, we'll we'll accept that. He was a deceiver, a manipulator. That was what his name meant. Your name is Jacob. You're a deceiver, Jacob. And I'm changing that name. You're a changed man now. He revealed his nature. The heel catcher was caught and had to confess his true nature before he could be blessed. And when he confessed his name, God gave him a new name. He said, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is now Israel. Jacob's struggle was spiritual as well as physical. And in that struggle, Jacob prevailed. And once again, not that Jacob... Defeated God, but that he finally attained God's requirement of yielded submission, drastically, drastically uh, marked by his injured hip, and he persisted in refusing to let God go until he, until he blessed him, and then he declared in in verse 28, "Your name shall no longer be called Jacob; he'll but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man as." prevailed. Now the Hebrew word for Israel is not perfectly clear, but it probably means he strives with God. And I think that fits the context very well. All of Jacob's life, what did he do? He struggled with others. Taking God's blessing from others for his own use, with his own strength. He was self-willed and too proud to let the blessing be given to him. But now, he has a new name, he has a new testimony, and he has a new direction in life. He now realizes the importance of being blessed God, not stealing the blessing from others, but being blessed by God. And guess what? Jacob now enters the hall of fame of the patriarchs, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and now the God of Jacob. Verse 31 verse 30 and 31 says so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, lipping because of his hip you see, Jacob didn't literally see God's face he couldn't literally see God's face because when Moses asked to see God's glory and we were talking about that with Bill Higgins in, in, in class today when Moses asked to see God's glory he told him you cannot see my face for man shall not see it and live Exodus 33 20 it was probably a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in unif- human form also the sun rose upon him it's a new day for Jacob The old has passed, the new has come. I like what Bible scholar James E. Smith says. He says, He named the spot of this heavenly encounter Peniel, face of God. He knew that he had come face to face with God on that long, lonely night. He lived to see a new day. Jacob had seen God, but his life had been spared. That sunrise was very special to him. It it signaled the beginning of his walk with the Lord. Remember when you were born again, and it signaled a new start with Christ. All of a sudden, you started looking at people differently. All of a sudden, you started watching the birds in the air, and the ocean, and the mountains, and... and and the, the trees and the flowers, everything seemed different. And, and you fell in love with God and you started, you began to love God's people. Things have changed. It was a new day. The sun rose upon you. And through, through his struggle, Jacob met with God and transformed his life. And guess what? Now is a life, Now his life is beginning to affect others. You know... I just did a series on friendship evangelism, and then before that, I was doing a series in John one on being a witness and a testimony. This is what happens to the transform life. Your life affects other people. Verse thirty two. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. You know, I I believe Jacob's transformed life. Not I believe, it did. It affected others. The Hebrews, in Moses' own day, this is the beginning of it, began to observe a dietary practice prohibiting against eating the tendon muscle. And by this observation, they honored the Lord and their ancestor, Jacob. So they began to observe this day. And through Jacob was born 12 sons, and these 12 sons became 12 tribes, which became the nation of Israel. I would say, yes, it affected others. And out of that nation, Jacob... 12, tri- twelve sons became twelve tribes, now blossomed to a nation, and out of that nation came the good news of Jacob's descendant. Who was Jacob's descendant? Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who would suffer, die, and rise again for our sins. Don't ever say, my life does not have an effect on other people. If you're a Christian, your life has an effect on people. Jesus Christ emanates out of your life. Jacob's life transformed, his transformed life affected others. It, aff- it affected lives then and is still affecting lives today. Your transformed life affects other lives. Jesus said, Let your light shine before others so they can may see your good deeds or your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Yep. Paul said, In 2 Corinthians, he said, God makes his appeal through us to people to be reconciled to God. Your life affects others. Your transformed life affects others. If it's not transformed life, yeah, I would have to agree with you. It may not affect other lives. Some of you may think, how does this apply to me today? I'm not a patriarch who wrestled with God I'm not the father of 12 tribes my name is still the same God did not dislocate my hip well some of us anyway (laughs) and although all that's true all of humanity every bit of humanity is like Jacob we are all sinful egotistical proud, deceivers manipulators and so on to one agree to another I mean we are like Jacob Some of us may not be great deceivers like Jacob, but we have deceived people in our lives. We manipulated people. We have egos. We are sinful. We are proud. We are like Jacob. And we also, like Jacob, have struggles in our lives. So how does this apply to you? Well, first I want to talk to you who may not know God. If there's someone here who does not know God tonight, do you realize that you're a sinner and in need of a Savior? If you do, then, just like Jacob, you will wrestle alone with God. You must make your peace with God alone. Nobody can do it for you. Again, like Jacob, you need to be persistent with God and not let the sun go down until you have peace, forgiveness, and mercy from God. How do you do this? Simple. Repent of your sins. God may have to bring struggles into your life and give you a crippling spiritual blow, and it happened to me, and I'm still, I still walk with a limp today. So you genuinely turn from your sins and begin to lean on Him. The second thing is trust in the Savior. What he has done for you on the cross, that he paid the debt you owe, that he lived the life you failed to live, and he will empower you to live for him. If you do that, you will have peace with God. By the way, Jacob was heading towards where? Canaan. That was the promised land. But he could not enter it until what? He was transformed. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You may not get a new name, but guess what? You get a new creation. You're a new creation in Christ. You may walk with a limp for the rest of your life, but each limping step will remind you of his amazing grace. And for those of you who believe, the Lord on... Occasion has to give us crippling blows. We're self-sufficient sometimes and he wants to bless us but sometimes he has to dislocate our hips. Are you, as Proverbs 3-5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart? When we fail to do this, God certainly knows how to get us back on the track and trusting him with all our hearts. He brings struggles into our lives to help us to trust him and to him alone. So let me conclude here. Whether you're a believer or not a believer who wants to become a believer, there will be a wrestling match and by God's grace you're going to win. You're going to win. If God, we, we believe in election in this church. We believe in predestination. We believe that God elects. And if God has elected you onto salvation, even though you struggle, God puts it in you and you will get through that struggle. And we want to encourage you tonight. You don't, defeat God. You defeat pride, you defeat sin that keeps you from God. And I cannot stress enough that it's God's power and grace alone that gives you the victory. Not something we do in ourselves. And I want to conclude with one quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was once asked, What does a person look like who has truly met God? And alluding to Genesis 32, 31, he replied, and I'll leave you with this. He walks with a limp. (laughs) Are you walking with a limp? Has God dislocated your hip? Has he dislocated your hip and now defeated your, your sin and your pride and your ego? Has he done that? Are you walking with a limp? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the crippling spiritual blows in our lives from your hand. We know that you love us and want to see us become more like Jesus. And sometimes the only way is an intense struggle that you initiate in our lives. And when we struggle, and when the struggle ceases and the dust settles, our lives now reflect Christ. So help us not to despise the trials and the tribulations that come our way, but to view our struggles, as Paul told the Corinthian church, for this light and momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In his name we pray, amen. So let's get ready for communion. And as I end this message and we get ready for the Lord's Supper, let's reflect on the message that even though we struggle at times, through Christ's death, there's the victory. There's the victory. By his death, we now have his Holy Spirit who filled our hearts with his love and makes it possible to exit the struggle transformed. As Marty leads us in song, reflect on these things, please. And Father, we ask you to bless the elements as they serve them. God, just bless the people's hearts, really, to understand what this means and how you suffered and died on our behalf. And even though the struggles and the trials never end, we will, as the songwriter said, take them as our friend because you cover us. You covered us with your death and with your resurrection. In Christ's name we pray.